0: chapter 3 of the dog caruso and his master this is a librivox recording all librivox recordings are in the public domain for more information or to volunteer please visit librivox.org recording by aaron white the dog caruso and his master by r m ballantine chapter 3 speculative remarks with which the reader may or may not agree an old woman hopes and wishes commingled with hard facts, the dog Caruso's education begun. It is pleasant to look upon a serene, quiet, humble face. On such a face did Richard Varley look every night when he entered his mother's cottage. Mrs. Varley was a widow, and she had followed the fortunes of her brother, Daniel Hood, ever since the death of her husband. Love for her only brother induced her to forsake the peaceful village of Maryland and enter upon the wild life of a backwoods settlement. Dick's mother was thin and old and wrinkled, but her face was stamped with a species of beauty which never fades, the beauty of a loving look. Ah, the brow of snow and the peach-bloom cheek may snare the heart of man for a time but the loving look alone can forge that adamantine chain that time, age, eternity shall never break. Mistake us not, reader, and bear with us if we attempt to analyze this look which characterized Mrs. Varley. A rare diamond is worth stopping to glance at, even when one is in a hurry. The brightest jewel in the human heart is worth a thought or two. By a loving look, We do not mean a look of love bestowed on a beloved object. That is common enough, and thankful should we be that it is so common in a world that's overfull of hatred. Still less do we mean that smile and look of intense affection with which some people, good people too, greet friend and foe alike, and by which effort to work out their beau idéal of the expression of Christian love they do signally damage their cause by saddening the serious and repelling the gay. Much less do we mean that perpetual smile of goodwill which argues more of personal comfort and self-love than anything else. No, the loving look we speak of is as often grave as gay. Its character depends very much on the face through which it beams, and it cannot be counterfeited. Its ring defies imitation. Like the clouded sun of April it can pierce through tears of sorrow like the noontide sun of summer, it can blaze in warm smiles. Like the northern lights of winter, it can gleam in depths of woe. But it is always the same, modified doubtless and rendered more or less patent to others, according to the natural amiability of him or her who bestows it. No one can put it on, still less can any one put it off. Its range is universal, it embraces all mankind though of course it is intensified on a few favoured objects its seat is in the depths of a renewed heart and its foundation lies in love to god young varley's mother lived in a cottage which was of the smallest possible dimensions consistent with comfort it was made of logs as indeed were all the other cottages in the valley the door was in the centre and a passage from it to the back of the dwelling divided it into two rooms one of these was subdivided by a thin partition the inner room being mrs varley's bedroom the outer dick's daniel hood's dormitory was a corner of the kitchen which apartment served also as a parlor the rooms were lighted by two windows one on each side of the door which gave the house the appearance of having a nose and two eyes houses of this kind have literally got a sort of expression on if we may use the word their countenances square windows give the appearance of easy-going placidity longish ones that of surprise mrs varley's was a surprise cottage and this was in keeping with the scene in which it stood for the clear lake in front studded with islands and the distant hills beyond composed a scene so surprisingly beautiful that it never failed to call forth an expression of astonished admiration from every new visitor to the mustang valley my boy exclaimed mrs varley as her son entered the cottage with a bound why so hurried to-day deary me where got you the grand gun? Won it, mother. Won it, my son. Ah, won it, mother. Drove the nail almost, and woulda drove it altogether had I been more used to Joe Blunt's rifle. Mrs. Varley's heart beat high, and her face flushed with pride as she gazed at her son, who laid the rifle on the table for her inspection, while he rattled off an animated and somewhat disjointed account of the match. Daring me! "'Now that was good. That was clever. "'But what's that scraping at the door?' "'Oh, that's Fan. I forgot her. "'Here, here, Fan. Come in.' "'Good dog,' he cried, rising and opening the door. "'Fan entered and stopped short, entirely uncomfortable. "'My boy, what do you with the Major's dog?' "'One or two, mother. One or my son.' Ah, one-er, and the pup, too. See, here it is, and he plucked Crusoe from his bosom. Crusoe, having found his position to be one of great comfort, had fallen into a profound slumber, and on being thus unceremoniously awakened, he gave forth a yelp of discontent that brought Fan in a state of frantic sympathy to his side. There you are, Fan. Uh, Take it to a corner and make yourself at home. Ha, that's right, mother. Give her something to eat. "'She's hungry, I know by the look of her eye.' "'Deary me, Dick,' said Mrs. Varley, "'who now proceeded to spread the use midday meal before him. "'Did you drive the nail three times?' "'No, only once, and that not perfectly. Brought em all down at one chop, rifle, fan, and pup. "'Well, well, now that was clever, but—' "'Here the old woman paused and looked grave. "'But what, mother?' "'You'll be wantin' to go off to the mountains now, I fear me, boy.' "'Wantin' now!' exclaimed the youth earnestly. "'I'm always wantin'. "'I've been wantin' ever since I could walk. "'But I won't go till you let me, mother. "'That I won't.' "'And he struck the table with his fist so forcibly that the platters rung again. "'Oh, you're a good boy, Dick. "'But you're too young yet to venture among the redskins. "'And yet, if I don't venture young, I'd better not venture at all.' You know, Mother, dear, I don't want to leave you, but I was born to be a hunter, and everybody in them parts is a hunter, and I can't hunt in the kitchen, you know, Mother at this point, the conversation was interrupted by a sound that caused young Varley to spring up and seize his rifle and fan to show her teeth and growl. hiss Mother, that's like horses' hoofs. He whispered, opening the door and gazing intently in the direction whence the sound came. Louder and louder it came, until an opening in the forest showed the advancing cavalcade to be a party of white men. In another moment they were in full view, a band of about thirty horsemen clad in leathern costume and armed with the long rifle of the far west. Some wore portions of the gaudy Indian dress, which gave to them a brilliant, dashing look. They came on straight for the blockhouse, and saluted the Varleys with a jovial cheer as they swept past at full speed. Dick returned the cheer with compound interest, and calling out, "'They're trappers, mother! I'll be back in an hour!' bounded off like a deer through the woods, taking a shortcut in order to reach the blockhouse before them. He succeeded, for just as he arrived at the house, the cavalcade wheeled around the bend in the river, dashed up the slope, and came to a sudden halt on the green. Vaulting from their foaming steeds, they tied them to the stockades of the little fortress, which they entered in a body." hot haste was in every motion of these men they were trappers they said on their way to the rocky mountains to hunt and trade furs but one of their number had been treacherously murdered and scalped by a pawnee chief and they resolved to revenge his death by an attack on one of the pawnee villages they would teach these red reptiles to respect white men they would come of it what might and they had turned aside here to procure an additional supply of powder and lead in vain did the major endeavour to dissuade these reckless men from their purpose they scoffed at the idea of returning good for evil and insisted on being supplied the log hut was a store as well as a place of defence and as they offered to pay for it there was no refusing their request at least so the major thought the ammunition was therefore given to them and in half an hour they were away again at full gallop over the plains on their mission of vengeance vengeance is mine i will repay saith the lord but these men knew not what god said because they never read his word and did not own his sway young varley's enthusiasm was considerably damped when he learned the errand on which the trappers were bent from that time forward he gave up all desire to visit the mountains in company with such men but he still retained an intense longing to roam at large among their rocky fastnesses and gallop out upon the wild prairies meanwhile he dutifully tended his mother's cattle and sheep and contented himself with an occasional deer-hunt in the neighbouring forests he devoted himself also to the training of his dog crusoe an operation which at first cost him many a deep sigh every one has heard of the sagacity and almost reasoning capabilities of the newfoundland dog indeed some have even gone the length of saying that what is called instinct in these animals is neither more or less than reason and in truth many of the noble heroic and sagacious deeds that have actually been performed by newfoundland dogs incline us almost to believe that like man they are gifted with reasoning powers but every one does not know the trouble and patience that is required in order to get a juvenile dog to understand what its master means when he is endeavouring to instruct it crusoe's first lesson was an interesting but not very successful one we may remark here that dick varley had presented fan to his mother to be her watch-dog resolving to devote all his powers to the training of the pup we may also remark in reference to crusoe's appearance and we did not remark it sooner chiefly because up to this period in his eventful history he was little better than a ball of fat and hair that his coat was mingled jet black and pure white and remarkably glossy curly and thick a week after the shooting match crusoe's education began having fed him for that period with his own hand in order to gain his affection dick took him out one sunny forenoon to the margin of the lake to give him his first lesson and here again we must pause to remark that although a dog's heart is generally gained in the first instance through his mouth yet after it is thoroughly gained his affection is noble and disinterested he can scarcely be driven from his master's side by blows and even when thus harshly repelled is always ready on the shortest notice and with the slightest encouragement to make it up again well dick varley began by calling out crusoe crusoe come here pup of course crusoe knew his name by this time for it had been so often used as a prelude to his meals that he naturally expected a feed whenever he heard it This portal to his brain had already been open for some days, but all the other doors were fast locked, and it required a great deal of careful picking to open them. "'Now, Crusoe, come here!' Crusoe bounded clumsily to his master's side, cocked his ears, and wagged his tail. So far his education was perfect. We say he bounded clumsily, for it must be remembered that he was still a very young pup with soft, flabby muscles." Whether Crusoe thought of that or not, we cannot say, but he looked up in his master's face as he spoke, cocked his ears very high, and turned his head slowly to one side, until it could not turn any farther in that direction. Then he turned it as much to the other side, whereat his master burst into an uncontrollable fit of laughter, and Crusoe immediately began barking vociferously. "'Come, come,' said Dick, suddenly checking his mirth. "'We mustn't play, pup. We must work.' Drawing a leathern mitt from his belt, the youth held it to Crusoe's nose, and then threw it a yard away, at the same time exclaiming in a loud, distinct tone, Fetch it! Crusoe entered at once into the spirit of this part of his training. He dashed gleefully at the mitten and proceeded to worry it with intense gratification. As for fetch it, he neither understood the words nor cared a straw about them. Dick Varley rose immediately, and rescuing the mitten resumed his seat on a rock come here crusoe he repeated oh certainly by all means said crusoe no he didn't exactly say it but he really looked these words so evidently that we think it right to let them stand as they are written if he could have finished the sentence he would certainly have said go on with that game over again old boy it's quite to my taste the jolliest thing in life i assure you at least if we may not positively assert that he would have said that no one else can absolutely affirm that he wouldn't well dick varley did do it over again and crusoe worried the mitten over again utterly regardless of fetch it then they did it again and again and again but without the slightest apparent advancement in the path of canine knowledge and then they went home during all this trying operation dick varley never once betrayed the slightest feeling of irritability or impatience he did not expect success at first he was not therefore disappointed at failure the next day he had him out again and the next and the next and the next again with the like unfavorable result in short it seemed at last as if crusoe's mind had been deeply imbued with the idea that he had been born expressly for the purpose of worrying that mitten and he meant to fulfil his destiny to the letter Young Varley had taken several small pieces of meat in his pocket each day, with the intention of rewarding Crusoe when he should at length be prevailed on to fetch the mitten. But as Crusoe was not aware of the treat that awaited him, of course the mitten was never fetched. At last Dick Varley saw that this system would never do, so he changed his tactics, and the next morning gave Crusoe no breakfast, but took him out at the usual hour to go through his lesson. This new course of conduct seemed to perplex Crusoe not a little, for on his way down to the beach he paused frequently, and looked back at the cottage, and then expressively up at his master's face. But the master was inexorable. He went on, and Crusoe followed, for true love had now taken possession of the pup's young heart, and he preferred his master's company to food. Varley now began by letting the learner smell a piece of meat which he eagerly sought to devour but was prevented to his immense disgust then the mitten was thrown as heretofore and crusoe made a few steps toward it but being in no mood for play he turned back fetch it said the teacher i won't replied the learner mutely by means of that expressive sign not doing it hereupon dick varley rose took up the mitten and put it into the pup's mouth Then, retiring a couple of yards, he held out a piece of meat and said, Fetch it! Crusoe instantly spat out the glove and bounded towards the meat, once more to be disappointed. This was done a second time, and Crusoe came forward with a mitten in his mouth. It seemed as if it had been done accidentally, for he dropped it before coming quite up, if so it was a fortunate accident for it served as the tiny fulcrum on which to place the point of that mighty lever which was destined ere long to raise him to the pinnacle of canine erudition dick varley immediately lavished upon him the tenderest caresses and gave him a lump of meat but he quickly tried it again lest he should lose the lesson the dog evidently felt that if he did not fetch that mitten he should have no meat or caresses in order however to make sure that there was no mistake dick laid the mitten down beside the pup instead of putting it into his mouth and retiring a few paces cried fetch it crusoe looked uncertain for a moment then he picked up the mitten and laid it at his master's feet the lesson was learned at last Dick Varley tumbled all the meat out of his pocket on the ground, and while Crusoe made a hearty breakfast, he sat down on a rock and whistled with glee at having fairly picked the lock and opened another door into one of the many chambers of his dog's intellect. End of chapter 3. Recording by Aaron White.